seated. Take your Bibles, please, and find for me First Peter, way back in the back of your New Testament. We're going to be reading a passage there that speaks to our, our sermon today. The world wonders, how is it that the death of a Jewish Messiah centuries ago, halfway around the world, whom I do not know and does not know me, how can that make any difference now? This is the question that our lost world is asking. And this is what you and I are called on to answer. At this Christmas season, we've been talking about the miracle on your street. And I trust the miracle of God's great grace and the birth of His Son, Jesus Christ, has come to be very real in you. And that miracle has actually landed on your street. As we were looking at this, we worked our first Sunday at the miracle of the moment. The miracle of the moment, that at just the right time, in the fullness of time, when everything was right, historically, culturally, linguistically, everything was just right, God stepped in to human history as a human, as a creation Himself. God became man and dwelt among us. And we looked at how His timing is always impeccable. His timing is always right historically, and His timing has been right in our own lives as well. Then last week, we looked at the miracle of the message. That God didn't just uh, send an angel down here and say, here's my message, I love you. He did something much more powerful than that. He sent His very own Son, not to deliver a message, but to be the message. God in the flesh. God showing us who God was. In, in a way that, that more, more uh, explicit than any other revelation that God had ever given. Jesus would actually say to Peter, I mean to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then to them all He would say, I and the Father are one. So Jesus came not just to deliver the message, but to be the message. To be the message of God's love and His great grace. Today I want us to look at the miracle of the method. The miracle of the method. And, and that's embodied in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you're there. And I want you to find, if you will, for me, verse 18. The sentence is a little longer than what we're going to really deal with this morning, but I just want to deal with just a portion, a couple of verses, that really gets to the very crux of the miracle of the method. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 18. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. We're not redeemed by silver and gold and anything that money can buy, even at Christmas time. Our redemption focuses on the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Only you, God. Only you would have come up with a method that satisfies your holiness and addresses man's sin. Only you could come up with a method that even 
amazed the angels and even today amazes us. Lord, today at Christmas season, this Sunday before Christmas, impact upon us the miracle of the method. And may that method of salvation come home to our street. We ask in Christ's name, Amen. The miracle of the method has always been foolish talk to humanity. Lost men and women, people who have not asked Jesus Christ to come into their heart, to be their Lord and Savior, those who have not been transformed by God's grace, what Jesus would call being born again, what Paul would refer to as being a brand new creation, people who have not been impacted by the reality of the gospel. They look at this and they say, this is a bunch of nonsense. This is a bunch of foolishness. And it's always been that way. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Two verses later, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would believe. I say that to just say, don't be surprised when lost men and women cannot connect what happened in Israel ages ago with life today. That's something that Holy Spirit has to reveal to them, and the first revelation of that is in their salvation when they receive the miracle of the method. We want to answer that question today. How is it that something that happened half a world away, centuries ago, how can that make any difference in my life today? Well, let me begin that answer by this. Time is, in, is important here. And you do think, well, that did happen a long time ago. But to understand how this impacts you today, you have to go back even further than that. Because the Scripture tells us that from before the foundation of the world, before even time was created, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, planning the creation of mankind, knew that you and I would choose out of our very own selfish desires to say, I want what I want. And I'm not going to do what you say. And that the results of that would be a separation between God and His creation. God knew this. The, the fall of Adam and Eve and my sin and yours did not surprise God. Did not catch Him off guard at all. He didn't plan it, but He planned for it. And so, from before time began, they determined a method. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Determined a method whereby this breach of relationship between us and God could be bridged. And see, that's what we're talking about today. So this started way back before time began. It happened a couple of thousand years ago, yes, absolutely. But the impact of that continues today because God is still alive and His method hasn't changed to draw people to Himself. And so the gospel is as ready for today's audience as it ever, ever has been. God's heart 
was so broken by the brokenness of mankind that he injected himself. One of the most beloved scriptures in the church of Jesus Christ today says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes on him will not perish but will have everlasting life. It was out of the heart of God that this method came. But here's the problem. A holy God cannot just decide that He's not going to look on sin. A holy God has to address when violations to the eternal covenant have happened. You know, as a parent, don't you have to address it when your children have, have violated very carefully what you have laid out as the expectation? Don't you have to deal with that? Don't you have to address that? Of course you do. And to ignore that would be detrimental to the life of the child as well as the family. No, no. Transgressions must be dealt with. And the Scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death. You know what wages are? That's what we earn by our hard work. That's what we get after we have toiled. And the Scripture says the results of us spending a lifetime rejecting God, the, the wages we earn by spending a lifetime of saying, I want what I want and I don't care what God says, the results of that is death. Death. Eternal separation from God and all that is good and godly. As a matter of fact, Hebrews puts it this way. The writer of Hebrews in, in chapter 9 says, According to the law, one may almost say, All things are cleansed with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. God couldn't just overlook the sins of mankind. He had to do something to atone for those sins. Way back in the Old Testament, He set up what's called a sacrificial system, whereby those who would offer the sacrifices that were required, would have their sins covered with the blood of that sacrificial animal. Hold on to that. That did for a season, and, and for that season, it was looking forward to the ultimate, the ultimate sacrifice. The, the blood of the lambs and the bulls and the, the doves and such as that looked forward to the shedding of blood that would not just cover sin, but take away sin. That's the method. That's the method. You see, without that shedding of blood, there could be no dealing with sin. Because a righteous God, a holy God, has to address rebellion. Has to address you and I, steadfastly and stiff-necked, saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. <coughs> He's got to address that. And so he does. Rather than, than pouring out justice upon you and I, which we couldn't handle, because that would mean our eternal damnation. Rather than pouring out that justice on us, God became a man, Jesus Christ. That's what we celebrate this week in the coming of God, in the form of Jesus Christ. He became a man. He lived a sinless life. 
and he went to the cross to take upon himself my sins and yours. Can, can I, can I tell, show you something that maybe you, you might, have, might have missed? It's, it's, a, it's a historical, cultural thing that, that you, know, you have to know a little history. It is not by happenstance that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Now, I'm not talking about just because it was prophetically spoken hundreds and hundreds of years before that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. That's phenomenal all by itself. But no, it's because of what Bethlehem was. It was a, a tiny little sleepy little village. And what made Bethlehem anything was the major trade, the industry <clears throat> that was behind Bethlehem. Do you know what it was? It was raising the sacrificial lamb. The lambs that would be taken to the temple and slaughtered and whose blood would cover the sins of mankind. All around Bethlehem, there were, were shepherds who were commissioned by the temple to not only raise sheep, but to choose from those sheep, those that were without spot and blemish. And those that were worthy, those that were spotless, those that were unblemished, could then be purchased by sinners like me and taken to the temple and offered to cover my sins. So it was in Bethlehem that the Lamb of God was to be born. Because He would take away, not, He would not just cover the sins of mankind, He would take away the sins of all mankind. So the perfect Lamb of God, without spot, without blemish, without sin, is born this Christmas day. But you've got to catch this, folks. As sweet as that nativity scene is, as precious as you see the baby is there and the adoring mother and, and, and the, the, the worried but worshiping father, all of that you see and it's all correct. What you don't see, but you need to see by spirit eyes is the shadow of a cross falling across that manger and across the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. The method of God was that Jesus would be the eternal sacrifice for my sins, to remove my sins. That's Christmas season. And that's why Peter would write here that you're not redeemed with corruptible things like silver and gold from your old way of life that you received from your Father, but rather with the precious blood of Jesus Christ as with the Lamb without blemish and without spot. That's why Peter would later, as recorded in Acts chapter 4, he would, he would preach and his sermon was this, neither is there salvation in any other because there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. When Gabriel appeared to Joseph and said, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because this holy child which is, she's, she's carrying is born of the Holy Spirit. And when He's born, you will call His name Jesus. Why? Because Yeshua means God saves. 
His name is also the method that God was in Christ reconciling this world unto Himself. This is the miracle of the method. And here I want to just present it to you. And now we're just going to worship for a moment. We're going to sing and we're going to bless God for the miracle of the method that He has given us. And then we'll talk about how the miracle of the method is received. It